Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Coming up, I have a great in-depth interview with former Redskins tackle John Jansen. I got his thoughts on all the coaches he played for in Washington, and there were quite a few. He also shared with me a big regret he has about his time in Washington. So let's get into it. Here's John Jansen. So now I'm bringing in former Redskins offensive tackle John Jansen, a guy that I got along with pretty well despite his upbringing and his collegiate roots. Um, so, John, thanks for joining me. And first of all, I want to just start with, like, you have a lot of stuff going on. Just filling people, like, you've got a podcast, you're, with the, you're doing stuff with Big Ten Network. Tell everybody what you're doing now. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm at the University of Michigan. I'm with the athletic department. I work with the football team a little bit. And got a podcast called In the Trenches. Um, and we just, we talk about Michigan football. We talk about, uh, try and tell the student athlete stories give you know kind of pull back the curtain a little bit let everybody know um what how they get on the field how they stay on the field how they become excellent athletes excellent students how they graduate more than just what you see on right. the field and i'm also doing some local radio here radio here on 97 won the ticket as well as uh, the big 10 uh has started a uh, a channel on sirius xm it's channel 372 and mm-hmm. i've been doing uh, a lot of work on that as well so it's Big Ten Central uh, in the Jansen House. There you go. When are you going to have me on your Michigan podcast? Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm planning on having you on the Sunday after Thanksgiving this year. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> funny. Hopes that Saturday goes goes my way and not your way. And here's the thing: is I know that I'm still in your head. If you're, if they, if, if Ohio State beats them, you, you're you're going to tell me that you still think of me, don't you? Oh, I still think of you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, every time I use the restroom, I think of you. Every time I, I change my drawers, I think of you. And uh, it's, uh, that's, uh, but no, I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, it's, um, there's a, a lot of respect. Obviously, you and I go back and forth about the game and, and the Ohio State and Michigan rivalry. And that's why that game and that's why rivalries in college athletics are so yes. great. Because you and I can go back and forth. We can be passionate about it, but in the at the end, and nobody wants to admit this. I, I I'll admit this: there is a mutual respect. Oh yeah, great coaches and great football programs. And in Columbus, there's one. In Ann Arbor, there's one. Uh, in State College, in South Bend, out in Los Angeles, there's a number of football programs where we may not like each other on any given Saturday. But there is a great respect, and that's why college sports are, are so great. Well, you know, and I agree with you, and it's funny because when HBO, I think, had the rivalry, they had this, the story on the rivalry um, with Ohio State Michigan. And, like, as an Ohio State guy, you grow up in this. So, like, I'm getting tears watching this because of what it means to me. And so to for Ohio State to have the upper hand like it has is awesome. And I always kind of say, well, you know, I know it helps the rivalry if Michigan wins a little bit, but they can win next year. And then next year comes like, well – yeah, maybe next year. So, but it's but it is a lot of fun and 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 being a part of that. And that's why I enjoy getting to know you. And that leads to me to before we get into something else, I got to tell this story because and you probably know which one I'm going to tell. Um, but and I end up with a new phone because of it. But 
for everybody listening, so way back when, and this is when Steve Spurrier was the coach. <laughs> yeah, I can hear you laughing. So there, Joseph White, the Associated Press um, Redskins reporter, quirky guy and all that, great guy. But he was he and Spurrier got into this thing about how you know about the cold tub and how long somebody could sit in the cold tub. So basically, it became a bet. You know, between Spurrier collected some money and said, well, for Joseph had to sit in the cold tub for three minutes. And so a big crowd gathers and it's only actually, to be honest, man, he only got like $50, but it was for him, it was worth it. So, so there, all this crowd gathers outside Redskins park outside the doors in the back. And there's like a big crowd. So you and Brandon Noble are over by the tub with Joseph and Spurrier and all that. I go, I purposefully go back to the doors. It's about 20, 15 feet away by the doors, I'm sitting, standing next to Mark Maskey, the Washington Post reporter. I said, I'm standing here because if I know if I don't, something's going to happen. And within 10 seconds, you want to finish the story from there? I, I, I don't recall. I don't remember <laughs> what happened. Uh, it's, um, I, if, I, if I can't remember, then I, can, I have plausible deniability. <laughs> well, okay, then let me finish. Go, next thing I know, I have, first of all, it took two big guys, linemen, to pick me up and carry me. It was Jansen grabs one arm, Noble grabs the other. I think Noble, you had said that Noble told you, isn't that the guy from Ohio State? Let's go get him. So you guys got me. I'm just, I was staying out of the way. Next thing I know, you're dropping me in the ice tub. And I don't think, I, my mouth felt paralyzed from the when the first you first touched down there. The one thing that was really good about, well, first of all, I had to go to, the, I, had to, go to I think it was JCPenney or Walmart to buy new clothes for the rest of the day. But I also got a new phone courtesy of John Jansen. And I got an upgrade. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> hey, you know what? That's The moral of the story is just do your job. And <laughs> if you get a little bit wet, everything will turn out in the end. The moral of the story is that it took two large, a guy, big guy from Michigan and a big guy from Penn State to, to pick up one little guy from Ohio State. Anyway, yeah, well, so, we were fighting over you. That's the <laughs> so let me ask you, first of all, just how is your health these days? I remember talking to you one time and you had talked about just like some of the struggles you had physically after you retired. Um, how are things now? Um, things are things have settled down a little bit. I had a couple of, you know, issues to get cleaned up and um, I've dropped some weight and uh, for the most part been able to keep it off. And um, I stay as active as I can be, and I find the more active I am, uh, the, the better I feel, which is probably the, the case for most people in my age group, whether they played football or not. And, um, but I'm, I, I've got no complaints. I look around and I see a lot of guys that, um, you know, have a hard time walking or, or, you know, they can't raise their arm above their shoulder, and I feel very fortunate that um, I'm still mobile. I can still play football and basketball and baseball with my son, and I can play tennis with my daughter and volleyball, and, and so I've got, uh, I've got no complaints. How old is your son now? Uh, he is eight years old. And he's the youngest of your four, right? He is, yeah. I've got a 13, 12, 9, and 8. Uh, wow. Three oldest are girls, and, and my son is bringing up the rear and doing a great job at it, too. <laughs> is he going to Is he gonna play football? He, If he wants to, um, he will, and, and he talks about it all the time. He's still in Michigan. I live in Michigan now, and, and right. um, everything here is all divided up by weight class at that age. Right. I'm sure it's pretty common across the country. Um, and right now he is uh, too big 
to play in pads. So um, he's got another year or two before he can uh, uh, before he can actually strap a mom, and that's all right. I never played. I had the same issue. I didn't play until I was in seventh grade. He'll probably play before that, but um, uh, when if he wants to, I have no issue with him playing football. So when Ryan Day comes calling in about six, seven years, seven, I guess seven or eight years, what are you going to tell him? Um, I, I, what, well, what am I going to tell Ryan Day, or what will I let my son tell him? Either one. Um, he will say go blue. <laughs> I am going to play for Jim Harbaugh in, uh, in Ann Arbor. And, uh, no, it's I, I, I got to be completely honest with you. I wasn't a big fan of the head man uh, that just stepped down in Columbus, but uh, Ryan Day – Ryan Day actually worries me because uh, I, I think he's a tremendous football coach and I think he's a tremendous individual. And I, I, I think he can do wonders with a program like Ohio State, especially inheriting the talent that he was able to inherit. And, and I say inherit, he was there to help recruit right. that talent. So he is um, as much a part of that program as any other coach uh, and even more so in terms of taking over the reins um, you know, he's. I think he's going to be an outstanding football coach, and I'm excited that this rivalry is uh, um, hopefully going to take a turn for the better here in the next couple of years. But uh, for the Big Ten to have a team in the college football playoffs, we, we have to have Michigan be good. We have to have right. Ohio State be good. We have to have Penn State. But we also have to have Wisconsin, yeah. Nebraska, Iowa. We need the, the, the west of the Big Ten to uh, – step up their game a little bit and they're getting a little bit better and and you know i'm not going to shortchange your daughter so i want to get to what they're doing in a few minutes but Dwayne haskins you would have seen him and just in in your multiple roles what was your impression of haskins as a quarterback Uh, he frustrates the heck out of me because two years ago in the big house we had the buckeyes down by 14 points and your starting quarterback starts limping around and we're thinking, well, we got the backup quarterback. He hasn't played. You know, we this should be our year. And then Dwayne Haskins comes in and just takes over the game. And, and that's exactly what he did in, in 2018 as well. I mean, 50 touchdown passes and uh, all of the, the yards that he threw for in one year and what he was able to do. He is a remarkable athlete. And I think he's going to have a tremendous career. I'm excited that he's with the Washington Redskins. Uh, because he's a kid that, if given time to continue to develop, and I would say this about any rookie quarterback, I don't think a rookie quarterback should start. I don't care how good, I don't care the situation. If the, if if you draft a quarterback, that quarterback should sit and learn the game of football for at least a year. Um, and if Dwayne Haskins is allowed the time to mature, and he's allowed the time to learn the NFL game because it is completely different, especially right. at the quarterback position, than it is in college. If he has allowed that time, the Redskins are going to have a special quarterback. You played with some rookie quarterbacks here, and you, I'm, how much of that is opinion of what you just said is formed by playing with Patrick Ramsey as a rookie year and Jason Campbell? Yeah, I mean, when you play with a young quarterback, first of all, the offensive line feels a, a huge responsibility to do everything they can to possibly protect them, give them extra time. And um, and that's, you know, when you start doing things in the NFL that, that are that are you're trying to do extra, um, that's when, when injuries happen, mistakes happen, missed assignments happen. Um, and a quarterback 
by default, is at times throughout the, the season, no matter how confident or how good they are, they're going to be seeing defenses they've never seen. They're going to see athletes that they've never seen. They're going to throw interceptions. They're going to take sacks that in four years from now, they'll look back and we'll all look back and go, I can't believe playing quarterback. I can't believe he didn't get rid of the ball. I saw Patrick Ramsey do it, and he was a good quarterback. I saw Jason Campbell. He was a good quarterback. And they just they never were given the opportunity to develop and learn the NFL game. What was it that in that development, like let's take Ramsey, because like I just remember the teams blitzing the hell out of you guys at that time and Spurrier's schemes didn't seem to always account for that pressure. So what was the result of, of him just kind of taking that pummeling? Did you, do you see a loss of confidence? Do you see, you know, as a veteran, did you see that? Well, I saw a lot of confidence lost. And, and any time you're a young quarterback and you get hit on a regular basis, and, um, you know, like, like, I, I, like I've always said, you know, let's call a spade a spade. When you've got five offensive linemen, those guys can only block one apiece. So you can block five rushers. If the other team brings six or seven, you've got to somehow account for them, or you've got to let your quarterback know who is coming unblocked. And a young quarterback doesn't always recognize, and you would think, hey, counting the six is easy. We can all do that. We've been able to do that since we were three years old. However, when the when, when things are live and things are happening at game speed, it is so much faster in the NFL than it is in college. They're coming from so many different angles, and there are so many different schemes that a young quarterback doesn't know or doesn't understand or can't make that decision fast enough because they're worried about throwing the ball. They're, they're worried about throwing interceptions. They're worried about not making the right play or might make them the right call. And there's just so much going on that they take a beating – all season long, and then the next year, it takes it takes a couple of years after that for them to get right in the head and understand, first of all, where they're coming from, let the game slow down, understand the concepts of the offense, the route trees and everything that's happening, and then develop that communication with your offensive line, specifically your center. You've got to know, you've got to have great communication with him so that you guys are on the same page, and if Things are happening so fast, and they're 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 just they're too much going on. A young quarterback doesn't understand that, and they take some hits that that they won't forget, and or won't soon forget, and that's it, that's detrimental to the progress of, of a young quarterback. Could you could you feel that at that time? Like you knew that like this kid's going to be scarred for a while because of this. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're all human, and and it doesn't matter how tough you are. On, I, I know that I am either going to hit somebody or I'm going to get hit on every play. The quarterback at some point has the has to have the confidence that they're not going to get hit or at least they know exactly who is blitzing and where they're blitzing from so that they can get rid of the ball. If you don't know those two things, I mean, you're, you're, you're driving blind and you're going to get in a car accident every time you take the wheel. Yeah. As a veteran, what do you look for to say, okay, if they're going to play this kid, this is what I want to see, whether it's in practice, whether it's in meetings room, what are the things that you would look for to see that, oh, maybe this quarterback, maybe this kid is ready? Well, I want to see him go against the number one defense on a regular basis, and I want to see that they understand how protections are supposed to happen. Because 
when you get to the line of scrimmage, and, and the easiest checks are run-pass checks. If there's seven guys in a box, you can run the ball. If there's eight guys in the box, you throw it. It's that simple. But when it comes to third and eight, and you've got a, a look that you've never seen before, you've got to understand, have that communication with your center. If your quarterback and your center are in direct communication, and it's, and this has to happen in practice, and the quarterback, you know, either throws the ball away or gets the the ball out to a, to whoever the hot receiver is before somebody gets home, or at least if if he's still holding on to the ball, but when that defender runs past him, he is able to communicate to the coach that I understand that that guy is unblocked. I should have either gotten rid of the ball or I should have gone down so I don't take a direct hit. Those are some of the things that you've got to know that your quarterback understands. Um, and, you know, it, does it mean that there should never be a sack? No, that's going to happen. It's a physical game. It's a violent game. That's what makes the game so much fun. But your quarterback has to have the knowledge to be able to protect himself and have that communication. Your offensive line has to have that knowledge, too. The, the worst possible scenario, and it happened last year in Arizona, where you've got a rookie quarterback in Josh Rosen, mm -hmm. you've got a rookie center in Mason Cole, and you've got two other rookies. They don't. The offensive line doesn't necessarily know who they're, what they're doing. Let alone the quarterback. You put that combination out there, and you can see exactly what's going to happen. You got a quarterback that's going to get, you know, lead the league in sacks. You know, and I think that's why you know, because obviously this focuses back to Haskins. But again, when you play with those guys, like, did you have? When you're in that locker room, because like fans are going to get hope by a young quarter, they're going to get hope from a young quarterback. For veterans in the locker room, how do they view a situation like that? Do you, you know, do you do you get that same level of hope, or do you just say, "Listen, I don't give a crap. You just got to be ready to play. I don't care who you are." Well, there's a certain level of yeah, you got to be ready to play, but um, as a veteran, you've got to take that quarterback, your offensive line, and that quarterback should be doing everything together right now. Dwayne Haskins should be at Redskin Park. He should be there with all five guys on the offensive line and and, and your backup center um, so that they can develop that communication. They can go over blitzes. They can go over the playbook. Um, they can review those things because you can never, and I don't care if you're in your first year or if you're in your 15th year, you can never have enough mental reps. And things are limited right now in terms of how right. many times they can be on the field, how many times they can be out there and, and actually go against live defense. Um, so you've got to spend the time in the classroom. You've got to spend the time going over the playbook with your coach, with your offensive line, with your receivers, so they know. Um, I mean, because it, it, it's not just on the line. Your receivers have to know as well, hey, there's eight guys in the box. They're bringing somebody. It changes my route. I've got to cut it off at five instead of seven yards, or i got to do something different. All of those things go to – one, the, the, the smooth operation of an offense, but it, they convert first downs, and, and it prevents the interceptions. It prevents the sacks, which could be sacked fumbles. All of those plays, if you can eliminate as many of those as possible, your offense can still be productive even with a rookie quarterback. So one of the things, and I don't know how closely you've seen all this stuff with Trent Williams and the Redskins and how – yeah, there's talk that maybe he wants to be traded, released if certain things don't work to his, you know, to his favor. Whether it's a contract, medical staff, whatever. But from a football standpoint, you know, and he's also coming back. He had this growth removed from his head in the offseason, so I don't even know when he's going to be ready. But let's say they somehow don't have him available at the start of the season. 
what would that do for a rookie quarterback? And would you, if you're a coach and you say, I don't have Trent Williams out there, should I put this kid out there, even if he's ready? Well, if the quarterback is ready, you're, you're not always going to have, throughout the course of a season, your, your five starters on the offensive line, your number one receiver available, your best tight end. Injuries happen. Guys miss games, miss time. But <coughs> excuse me, you want to give him the best opportunity to be successful. So you want to make sure that whoever, if, if you're going into this season, with the possibility that your left tackle, your you know Pro Bowl All-Star left tackle, might not be available, then that's something that should have been addressed already. With we need to go out and get a you know a reliable right. backup. Can we get somebody as good as Trent Williams? Probably not. We can't afford that. But we can afford is somebody that is reliable, somebody that at least knows what they're doing. And, you know, there are times where they're going to get beat. There are times where everybody on the offensive line is going to get beat. Those guys on the other side get paid too. But there's also something to be said for somebody who's consistent. You know what they can do. You know what they can't do. And um, you don't put a guy in a position to to go out there and lose. You you, You give them every tool available and you say, you know what, now we can go out there and compete. Coming up, more of my interview with former Redskins tackle John Jansen when I get his thoughts on playing for the number of coaches he did. Marty Schottenheimer, Joe Gibbs, Steve Spurrier, and Jim Zorn. Welcome back. Here's more of my interview with John Jansen. Now he's going to be talking about a lot of the coaches he played for in Washington. How, how much do you still follow this team? Uh, I follow it quite a bit. I mean, I I don't follow it as much as I follow, obviously, college athletics right. and, and the Big Ten. But um, I still, you know, if the Redskins are on and I get a chance to watch, I, I'm I'm as big a Redskin fan as, as anybody else, and, and I want to see them be successful. I'm, I'm excited on draft day when they take a, a Big Ten quarterback to get a Big Ten receiver. I don't care what school they come from. As long as they're good players, um, that, that's, I'm excited about that. You, and you, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because like, that's why I always wonder, like, you guys had some teams here that I always thought might do a little bit better than you actually did. What do you think, do you agree with that, and what do you think, if that's the case, held you guys back? I think there were just some, some dynamics in the locker room. That's, and when you look at the teams that are successful, I don't care. You can go from peewee league, you can go to, to middle school, to college, to the NFL. You've got to have 53 guys that have one goal in mind, and that is to win as a team. And that's the that's what is so difficult in the NFL. If you've got a guy that is worried about his contract, or you know, if he gets dinged up a little bit and he's in a contract year, he thinks he's not going to be able to perform at a certain level, and then he sits out a couple of games. You can't have that. And and it's just you know, at at different times we had either dissension in the locker room or or we just didn't have good enough players at times to go out and win and. The, the biggest regret that I have of my time, and, and this goes all the way back to my rookie season when we had Brad Johnson, right. Stephen Davis, Trey Johnson, 
we had a really good offensive line, and we had a we had a really good offense. North Turner was calling the plays. We had Albert Connell making plays, Michael Westbrook making plays. That's the year when we won the division um, out in San Francisco. Yep. We had we played Detroit at home. We lost to uh, uh, we lost in Tampa Bay um, with the bad snap at the end of the game, and that's the year where where I really think that we could have done something special. And um, after that, it was always, you know, new coach, free agents, and we just never had a chance to gel as a team uh, much after that. And that, that's what I want to ask you about some of these coaches. You, the, you know, Marty comes, Schottenheimer comes in, you guys win out of 11, and he gets fired. I mean, first of all, what did you think of him as a coach? I loved Marty Schottenheimer. Marty Schottenheimer, I was an, I'd like to say I was an old school player that, you know, I, I was going to play if I could possibly walk out on the field. And, and, I, and I think I proved that with, you know, playing with two broken hands, playing with a <laughs> torn calf, playing with uh, a number of different injuries. If there was any chance that I could play, I was going to go out there and play. And Marty Schottenheimer was that type of coach. He was a no nonsense. It was we call it truth as as Marty saw it, and you may not agree with him, but you know exactly where Marty Schottenheimer stood. And um, we had some pushback from some some older veteran players at that time, and we started out zero and five, and um, the the fan sentiment was against Marty, and and there was a lot of things that were working against him. But I, I'll never forget this. And it didn't matter if it was the first win. I think it was against Carolina we yeah. had in week six. Or if it was any of those five losses, he answered the same way. Hey, we're making progress. This is what we're doing. We're going to stay the, we're going to stay the course. And we did. And we won eight out of the last 11 games. We ended up eight and eight in that season. And really should have, you know, I mean, if, if, if we had just won, uh, you know, one of the last couple right. of games, we would have been in the playoffs. And I think everything would have, you know, if Marty had been able to stick around and, um, you know, he had been able to work things out with Mr. Snyder. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, but I really believe he fell on his sword so many different times and did a great job of getting getting the the team back into a cap-friendly environment. Right. And we could have, I really believe we could have been a special team and a special organization after that. And it's just unfortunate that um, our time with uh, Marty Schottenheimer got cut short. I always, I have felt from that time and still feel that that was the biggest mistake that Dan Snyder has made is getting rid of, of making that change. Because you also lost John Schneider in the process, who would have, he was developed into a very good top executive now with Seattle. And so you from there, it's, it's Steve Spurrier. What was that experience like for you? It was disappointing for me. I mean, um, I didn't care who was the head coach as much as I probably should have at that time, but that was the prime of my career, and I don't feel like we were, like we were ever prepared or we were ever in a position to go out and be successful. Um, there just seemed to be other things that um, the staff was concerned about, and it was frustrating. They didn't, they wouldn't listen to the players, and at some point, the players weren't listening to them, and it was just a broken system at that point. And um, it was frustrating for me to see 
we had some very good players, and and you know, and I, I mentioned this in my rookie season. We had Stephen Davis, yeah, and Spurrier came in and basically said, "I don't need him in my offense," and we let Stephen Davis go. And I know he was uh, nearing the end of his career, but he was still a terrific tailback, and um, you know, just the, the the whole quarterback position with and, and Danny Werfel, great guy. Shane Matthews, you, you couldn't ask for two better guys. But I don't think they were necessarily the best options for us um, to play a quarterback, and um, it's just it was a frustrating couple of years, and it, it really felt like, you know, after two seasons with with Coach Spurrier, we we had to start further back than we were when when he took over. You know, and it's funny because like you could tell right early on that he didn't know a lot of guys, he didn't know who they were. In the draft, he didn't know who guys were that you guys picked. He'd read, he'd basically find out from their bios. How much does that filter down? Like when you know, like I mean, when you talk about not being as prepared, how much does that filter down just from him? You know, could you tell in the meetings that maybe he's in over his head? Well, it it, it was just it was frustrating because I mean, in a couple of. I think it was maybe his second year there. We had some some practices that were cut short because we had some early snows or the weather wasn't good. And uh, Mike Stock, who was our, our special teams coach, you know, they would that was generally the periods that would get cut short or practice would be cut down. And it just you know, coming from the Midwest, when it snows, that's kind of what makes football fun playing in the snow. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it can be cold and it can be a long season, but um, there are that's what. That's, I mean, football players are supposed to be tough. Uh, and, and I just felt like we weren't given an opportunity to be tough. And then you, then you follow that up with going, from, going to a legend with Joe Gibbs. Um, I, I enjoyed playing for Joe Gibbs. Uh, I, I, thought, I think he's a good man. Um, I think it took us a little while to get back up to speed in terms of trying to field a team that had really kind of been dismantled right. through the, the Spurrier years. And then you've got to rebuild to, to run power football. And I was, I, I've always said this, I was very fortunate. And, and Mr. Snyder was, was always good to me throughout my 10 years, whether it was, um, you know, being on the team and, and making it in, through 10 years through six different head coaches, uh, being able to withstand that. Or when I got hurt, he always, um, did the did whatever he could to make sure I had great medical care. So um, I, I preface all of that by saying that um, I was fortunate and I enjoyed every minute that I had being a Washington Redskin and um, still consider myself a, a, a lifelong Redskin. And um, but when you have to then rebuild a team um, in the likes of uh, a Joe Gibbs and um, you know it just it takes time and. Yeah. You know, there were just it, it always seemed like once we got things going, then all of a sudden, you know, Sean Taylor is murdered. Yeah. yeah. And that was just a kick in the teeth for everybody. And you can't in a season like that. And I know it really weighed heavy on Coach Gibbs and um, everybody thinks, you know, if, if something different had happened and, and maybe if we, you know, hadn't done this or done that he wouldn't even have been in that situation and and he'd still be with us and um so it's it's just every time we felt like we got things going there just seemed to be something that would 
bite us in the ass. And, um, and it was, the, you know, it just was the same kind of broken record. Yeah, you know, it's with, with Sean, I remember actually talking to you after his death. And early on, I remember you saying that, like, you really didn't know him because you're, one's on, you're, on, you're on offense, he's on defense, and he was very much a guy who was not going to trust easily. But by the end, it seemed like there was a lot more interaction between him and the rest of his teammates and all that, that you had seen some changes in him. Do you remember that? Sean was a, Sean was a great kid. And I know he got a bad rap um, coming in, coming from the U. And, um, but he, he was a football player who loved to play the game. And, and he, I think he was as old school as anybody. If you could go out there and play hard and do what the coaches asked you to do and played within your abilities. He was, he loved you as a teammate. It was the same for me. If you would go out there and you'd do everything that you could possibly do to win a game, I was going to love you as a teammate. And, and Sean was a great football player. Um, he was a good man and it just, it was, and he was a great teammate. Um, and it was just, it was an absolute tragedy. Um, that that happened. Yeah, and it, it, you know, and it's like I still wonder what that kid would have done because he'd still be playing because of how he prepared and all that. Um, you know, with going back to Gibbs, could you see? And I know you guys didn't have the greatness that he achieved the first time, but could you see what made him a different coach? I mean, you play for a bunch of different guys. Could you could you see what made him different? Yeah, he was he was a guy that was going to work until he got it right. And the game was different. The business of football was different. There were so many things different, the, you know, his second time around. But there was nobody that was going to outwork him or outwork his staff um, until they got it right. And, you know, and I appreciate that in anybody that wants to make that sacrifice for, for their team, for their organization. Um, and I've always respected him for that. And, um, I do think have you know given enough time, um, and and because the resources were there, yeah. there and and nobody can ever say that Dan Snyder didn't provide every opportunity or resource for the coaches for the opportunity to go out and get free agents. Um, sometimes maybe misguided, but um, you know it. The resources were there, and 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 again, I like I said before, given enough opportunity. Um, I really believe that again. It would have it would have worked out in a championship. And you know, and then again, this will be the last one. The last coach we talk about here is Jim Zorn. So you kind of go from, God, man, you went from Schottenheimer to Spurrier, then to Gibbs, and then to Jim Zorn. What was that experience like? And I know what, what was that experience like. I know they end up releasing you at the thing the second year, but what was that experience like? It, again, it was it was the same thing. You, you know, you start thinking about you know in years nine and ten of your career of, of what type of legacy you're going to have. And, um, you know, I, I felt like Jim Zorn was was over his head. He didn't know um, how to run a team. He didn't know how to put a team together. Um, it was just it was frustrating to have given so much of my time and energy and of my life of my body and then at the end you know have to to go out there and and play for a guy that you just felt like he was he was just over his head he was a he was a coordinator he was hired as a coordinator and and then they made him a head coach and uh, I just don't feel like he ever fit the position you know it's funny because like I think you guys that first year were six and two 
And um, I think at one point, I think you may have lost the next game, and there, you guys are starting to get guys hurt. And somebody brought that up in a press conference about it, and he said, well, we want to make sure these guys are back and healthy for the playoffs. And you guys are 6-3. and three. It's like, nobody's talking about playoffs. It's about resting guys or getting guys healthy for the playoffs when you're 6-3. and three. There, se- I'm not sure, there seemed to be an assumption that you guys were going to just get it done, and then, of course, it collapsed. Yeah, and, and that's – that's where you've got to have some experience as a head coach to know that, you know, nine games into a season does not a total season make. And right. just because you're six and three doesn't mean you're going to end up at, uh, you know, 12 and four and right. win the division and, and, you know, get a home field advantage. You've got to earn that every week. You've got to earn that every day. And um, it just injuries happen. And you've got to find a way to get the next guy ready to play. You've got to get, find a way to get as many guys that that can go out there and help you win games as possible. I just I, I didn't feel like in those years like we were given that opportunity. Coming up, the final part of my conversation with John Jansen and the big regret he has about his time in Washington. And trust me, you can still feel the passion that he has for what happened here. Welcome back. Here's the final part of my interview with former Redskins tackle John Jansen. He's still, it's funny because it still sounds like it kind of chafes you a little bit too. Oh, it chafes, it chafes, yeah. I mean, it, the, and, and the one thing that chafes me is, is, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I was blessed to be in one place for 10 years. And uh, I have a lot of respect for Mr. Snyder. I've got a lot of respect for the Redskins organization. Um, but the way it was handled at the end for me was left a real bad taste in my mouth and the way, and, and just in the best years of my career, um, I felt like I wasn't given the best opportunity to go out there and win a championship. And, and every time the Super Bowl runs around now, and I've got, I've got buddies that are, you know, either still playing or, or that are retired, and they 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 either played in the Super Bowl, even if they lost it, um, they had that opportunity, they had that experience, and um, it uh, it it it's it's one of those things where I'll never have that opportunity again, and uh, it frustrates the hell out of me that um, either I didn't do more to make that happen, or the guys that I didn't find a way for the guys around me. To, uh, to to do more to make that happen. How long does it take you to kind of find a, maybe some level of peace with that? Um, let's see. How many years have I been retired? <laughs> I'm going on, uh, let's see, this is 19. I left the Skins in, what, 09, so 10 or 11 years. Um, check back in another 10 or 11 years, and I'll see if I'm over it yet. I don't think I will be. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't blame you. Must you kind of feel it whenever – um, you kind of, if you're, if you have the aches and pains at night, that's what you put into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, every, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm in a better place now than when I was when I first got out, but, um, I mean, you, you, you tear an Achilles, you play a season with two broken hands. You, you know, you, you, you see, you look down and you see your foot pointing backwards at some point and you give so much and, 
it doesn't mean just because I I gave that that I deserved a championship. It, it, hell no. I've got you got to go out there and, and find a way to win. And my biggest regret was that you know for the years that I was a leader on that team, I didn't find a way to win. It's a, it's a regret that I have. Um, you know, and, and I felt like I owed that to Mr. Snyder. He gave me 10 opportunities right. to make that happen, and I didn't do that. I, I played with a number of, of great players, um, and, and I didn't do that for them. And, and that's a responsibility I felt as a leader of the team and, and for our fans. We had the, the greatest fans in the NFL. I mean, we've got guys that dress up as as pigs that come to the game we've got a we've got a band we've got a fight song i mean that's not something that you that's common around the nfl and um and and to be an offensive lineman in, in washington that means something right. it meant a lot to me and uh it just it it i have regrets of my own and i have regrets for the organization and um if you don't win a championship there's always going to be Hey, going back to college for a minute, I, want, and I appreciate you joining me and spending so much time here. What was your opinion of what happened with DJ Durkin at Maryland? It, it was unfortunate. Um, anytime that you have a young individual come to school, their parents, them as players, are putting their trust in the coaching staff, into the university, into the doctors, into the athletic training staff, into the weight staff, that you're gonna they're gonna ask these players to do almost inhumane things and we as players will do anything a coach asks us to do because we do want to be successful we want to win a championship and and to put the added pressure on on all of these college kids though every kid that goes to a a, a major college program whether it's a power five or a group of five uh, program they want an opportunity to play so that they can possibly see if they can play with the best in the world, and that's in the NFL. So they're going to do anything those coaches ask them to do. And, um, you know, for a player to fall out um, like they had and, and to lose his life, is it's a tragedy in and of itself, no matter how it happens. And then you compound it with some of the other factors that seem to come out that, um, you know, it, 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 it just shouldn't have ended with, a, with, with a, a young man losing his life. And there seemed to be, and I'm no expert, I wasn't there, uh, but in the reports that have come out, it seems like it was very preventable. And I feel bad for, obviously, the young man, um, his family, they will never... Uh, and, and this goes to, you know, we just had a Father's Day weekend and, you know, he won't be there to, to celebrate. He won't know what it's like to be a father. He won't know what it's like to take the field. All of those things will never happen. And um, I feel bad for the coaching staff because did they set out to, to you know, have an incident like that happen? No. But there were things that they could have done to make it better. And it's just it's it's a it's tragic on so many levels and um and it's sad when when one of us uh and i'm saying one of our offensive linemen one of our football players um you know dies on the field yeah it was it was very unfortunate obviously and that goes without saying and and the last thing and going from a heavy topic to one where i just but i told you i wanted to give you some time to to chat about your daughter so 
fill me in on what your three daughters are doing. Oh, well, let's see. Uh, my oldest is Lucy, and um, she's in tennis right now, and she's uh, just uh, graduated the seventh grade. She's got her last year of middle school coming up. It's, it's unbelievable how fast these little suckers grow up. It, gets, it goes um, faster in high school. That the, the, the young women that they become and uh, all of the decisions that you, you know, you try and make the right decisions as they're growing up and and then you see them make their own decisions and you think, well, I may have screwed up a lot of things, but, uh, um, you know, they're, they're at least making good decisions and they're happy and they're healthy. And uh, Ruby, who is uh, now going to be my seventh grader, she just graduated sixth grade and, um, you know, she's following in those footsteps. She loves basketball and she's playing volleyball and uh, she's going to do swim team and, and, and they're doing all A's in school. Um, so that's obviously what I'm most proud about. And then I've got my two little ones who are uh, Jack and Ellie. They just graduated the second and third grade. And um, they, Ellie has never seen a day where she hasn't been happy. She just <laughs> never, I mean, I've, every day I, that she wakes up, she's just got a great smile on her face. I'm glad to hear you have an Ohio State fan in the family. <laughs> well... <laughs> You know what? Even though there's been some turmoil uh, on that last Saturday in November, I got to be honest and say, even on those days, when I get a chance to come home and she greets me at the door with a big smile on her face, it it really puts everything in perspective. Well, that's and good. Yeah, it's important to win on the field and it's important to do a lot of great things. But uh, you know what? moms and dads out there whenever you get a chance to hug your kids or you get a chance to tell them that you're proud of them and uh you get a chance to see them do some special things it's uh it's it's just the greatest job in the world to be a dad oh it is and you know it's funny because watching the games with your kids too and i know you're at the games working when i'm watching those games with my kids when they're not there you miss it tremendously so enjoy those moments that you have like that so i'm listening john I love catching up with you. I appreciate you coming on here and spending all this time and, and giving your insight on, on various topics. So thank you very much for joining me, man. Hey, no problem. And uh, I'll get one last dig in after I say go skins. I'll say go blue. <laughs> I'll just say 16 out of 18. And I think we can end right there. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that one. <laughs> That's all for now. Big thank you to John Jansen for joining me and an even bigger thank you to you for listening. Without you tuning in, there is no podcast, and I appreciate that.